everyone. I'm Serena. And I'm Tina. And we are the Mental Health Mamas. Welcome to No Need to Explain. We are so glad you're here. First, as always, a quick disclaimer. We come to you not as mental health professionals or experts in the field, but rather as parents with lived experience who are on a mission to normalize the conversation around mental health. If you or someone you love is experiencing a mental health crisis, please seek professional support. You'll find a variety of resources in our show notes and on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. Quiz time, podcast friends. What is one of my favorite tools in my wellness toolbox? TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. I, okay, I think I can hear the answers. Serena, can you help our listeners out? What is one of my favorite tools in my wellness toolbox? I'm going to go with sleep. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. I'm excited to have a guest today who helps people with, among other things, their sleep. Jennifer Reed has expertise in medicine, psychotherapy, and coaching. She helps individuals overcome anxiety, optimize sleep, and move through stressful transitions. In order to reach a wider audience, Jennifer is a blogger and a podcaster on a mission to normalize the difficult experiences we have as human beings and encourage people to seek the help they need to live their best lives. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Tina and Serena, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak with you. And we are excited to have you. So tell us a little bit of your story and how you became interested in some of the areas you focus on in your practice. Absolutely. So my background, I actually grew up in a small town in rural North Dakota. And my father, as well as my maternal grandfather, were both general practitioners, were family medicine providers, sort of saw, you know, little black medicine bag when my grandfather (laughs) was doing it. And so grew up with that as sort of an interest and a focus and a number of other family members are teachers. And so I think the combination has been something that's been really important to me throughout my life. But the reason I ended up choosing psychiatry and going through medical school and deciding on that as a specialty, I really think looking back in part was because of my own experiences, because when I was in high school in this small town, I didn't feel like I fit in that well and did struggle with some symptoms of depression, which at the time I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what, you know, what I was feeling or why I just didn't really want to do anything, was feeling so down on myself. And then periods throughout my life where I did have some significant anxiety. So even though I was sort of progressing along, going to college and then traveling and medical school, that there were times where it really felt like my mind was working against me and where everything seemed more threatening than it typically would or just more difficult. And so I think the interest in psychiatry in part was to understand myself. And I think that happens to a lot of us as we pursue our career. And so lately, the work that I've been doing, I've been fortunate enough to work in a number of different settings, but I started my own private practice actually just before the pandemic started. So shifted everything to working from home while my kids were knocking on the door, asking (laughs) for emergencies, like a cookie, snacks, (laughs) (laughs) primarily snacks or, you know, screen time that wasn't school mandated, but 
I see patients in my practice and we really work on treating their anxiety, treating their depression and their sleep. But I also, you know, hearing more in the news and just seeing what was happening in our country and even worldwide with mental health and the numbers and how they were climbing and the people that were really struggling with so many of these concepts that I'm teaching my patients about every day. I really see myself as a teacher and a collaborator with my patients. And so I wanted to find a way to share that information more broadly because some of these techniques, they're not complicated. It's just sort of understanding how your brain is working, understanding when it's working against you and how can you sort of bring it bring it to your side, essentially. And so that's why I'm trying to you know, see patients, but also do some writing and podcasting and even sharing my own personal experience, which, you know, as I was saying before we started, is difficult. It's hard to talk about things like anxiety or depression in your own life, especially when you're you know, a psychiatrist who's supposed to have those answers mm-hmm. or supposed to be able to treat that and also prevent that. And so I think those are some of the reasons that led me to do this work right now. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for sharing your personal story. I think um, it is hard to share those things. And I I think that transparency is helpful to so many people to hear that um, that we don't all have it figured out. And that's okay. And um, so you do a lot around anxiety and insomnia. And Mm -hmm. we are very intrigued with that. (laughs) Yeah, so As far as sleep, I mean, anxiety is certainly a bread and butter concept that we are taught and trained about in not so much medical school, but definitely in psychiatry and in my practice over the past decade. Sleep is something when I look back, really, there was very little training on at the time. I think you certainly could pursue it if you had interest and some do. But it was something I was realizing in my practice over the years is I could treat some of the other symptoms, maybe of depression or anxiety, but patients kept coming back and saying, I'm just not sleeping very well. Like I'm feeling better overall, but I'm still waking up in the middle of the night and worrying, or I still can't fall asleep at night. I'm still struggling. And so, you know, my way of coping with frustration or uncertainty, one of them anyway, the healthier one is to really research and read about it and learn about it and try and figure it out, you know, for better or worse. And so I really dove into learning about sleep. And I think the more I learned and understood about it, the more powerful I realized just some simple shifts in our mindset and how that can really help us sleep better. So I talked to people about how powerful our sleep drive is that biologically, right? We're out for eight hours. We're unconscious for eight hours. How is that a good, you know, adaptation for our survival (laughs) as a species? It's pretty wild. And you start to learn more and more about what's happening both in your brain and your body when you're sleeping. Now, some of this information can backfire. I told my son at one point, like your brain's so active while you're sleeping, it's mm. consolidating memory, it's packaging things up. And so now when I'm like, you know, buddy, you've got to get to sleep, turn off the light, put your book away. And he's like, well, mom, it's not like my brain's going to rest anyway. It's still going to be active all night. So why do I have to go to sleep? And I was like, oh, oh, well, at least he's, he's learning something. <laughs> But, you know, it is a really powerful drive, but it can be disrupted and in a way that can be so frustrating because unlike other areas of our life where we can work harder, try harder, invest more time and energy, that actually can really backfire when it comes to sleep. People can have, understandably, a few nights of bad sleep because there's something that's overstimulating, whether it's excitement, whether it's stress, whether it's too much caffeine, mm-hmm. right? Or just whatever may be happening, whether it's a new baby, but can have nights of poor sleep. 
And what can happen that perpetuates that and creates long-term issues is their belief about that. Mm. Oh gosh, here we go. Mm. I remember my mom wasn't a good sleeper, Mm. or I remember that time I didn't sleep for months and months, and I'm probably not going to sleep tonight. And what if I don't sleep tonight, right? What if I get poor sleep and I really, you know, fail at that meeting tomorrow, or I say something wrong in that interaction, I'm just not going to be able to function versus, you know, if you think about it, the analogy I like to use is appetite. And that there are some days where we just aren't that hungry when it comes to mealtime. Maybe we had snacks beforehand, again, back to snacks with kids, <laughs> um, sort of like taking a nap. We've had snacks at some point and we're just not that hungry or we're stressed. And that has taken away our appetite a little bit. What we don't tend to think, at least most of us is, oh my gosh, why am I not hungry at this meal? I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be hungry, not hungry next time at the next meal. And maybe I need to take something that's going to help me get hungry because I have to be able to eat regularly. And I think that same analogy can apply in sleep in that there's a sense that, oh my gosh, I've had a few bad nights of sleep. I need to fix this right away, or I need to do something Mm. because this is something wrong as opposed to just a signal. We have this concept in medicine called referred pain, where you can have you know, an injury somewhere, a problem somewhere, and you get pain in another part of your body, like your diaphragm is bothered. So your shoulder is painful. And I think insomnia is kind of the same thing, referred pain from other experiences or things going on in your life that are creating the, the conflict with sleep. And if we can remove some of those other issues, sleep is just a really natural, powerful drive. We can't actually prevent ourselves from sleeping. It's so powerful. So that's a lot of the work I do is teaching people to work less, to not work so hard at sleep Mm -hmm. and really help Mm -hmm. them shift their mindset around, okay, if you've been having insomnia off and on your whole life, tell me how many times the next day there was a catastrophe, how many times the next day you absolutely couldn't function. Right. And of course, most of the time they're like, well, I didn't feel great, but Mm -hmm. I still progressed. I still functioned. And so we just start to take away some of that catastrophic, what if thinking, Mm -hmm. and that can have a really powerful effect on our ability to sleep. Yeah, it's so interesting in my experience. Um, we have a lot of anxiety in our world, and the idea that, um, you know, sleep is such a head game, right? I think the idea that um, those loop, looping thoughts, right? The looping thoughts just keep, for, for us anyway, that's the, that was the resounding. Um, we had so many conversations with therapists about the resounding, you know, like thoughts that keep that, I don't know, what did they call it? The dragon or the anxiety monster or whatever it was, mm-hmm. right. Just continuing and, and nighttime was worse because I think there is a pressure to sleep. We know that sleep is healing and there's so much pressure about it. I think of this when people take sleep medication, right? Um, you might need some sleep medication at some point, but what I've heard from people who take it is I'm afraid to stop because Mm. I don't know what's going to happen when I stop. And I'm so dependent on not, you know, chemically, but just on knowing that if I take that thing, it's going to help me sleep. Um, I remember a newscaster talking about this very, you know, one, one whole story about it. And it's really hard. It's sleep is we know restorative and it's so hard to get your head in the right place. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And especially if you have things going on during the day, but maybe one of the ways you're coping with anxiety during the day is to stay so busy mm. that you don't notice it, right? Or that mm-hmm. you just plow right through it. Well, guess what? You lie down at night. It's a dark room, quiet room, sort of creates this vacuum. And, you know, our anxious mind, I really try and differentiate even with my children, like that's your anxious mind, right? Those are thoughts mm-hmm. coming from the anxious part of your mind that your thoughts are not you, right? And that we can start to separate that. So it is tough when your anxious mind is like, ah, oh, here's my opportunity, right? I get to come mm-hmm. in and I get to say all these things that are going to keep you safe and are going to protect you from threats and are going to make sure that you don't have any problems down the road. Well, the trouble is there's really no way to manage that uncertainty through thinking, through worrying, Mm -hmm. right? Worrying is really not preparing. It's just this churning use of information, this RAM that you're trying to to clear out these thoughts, and it's really not helping you prepare. So one of the tricks I have people use is just looking for, you know, beginning to observe with curiosity, with compassion as much as possible, not with criticism or condemnation, but observe those what-if thoughts, Because if you think about it, if you think back to any what-if thoughts that you tend to have, it is very unusual that we'd have a really positive what-if thought. Like, what if this interview goes so well that suddenly I'm given like a, you know, I'm going to star in a movie because they heard that. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's silly. It is silly and it's funny and patients will laugh, but it's like, but think about how creative you can be on the catastrophe side. Mm. What if I don't get any sleep? And then tomorrow I get in my car and I forget where work is and I show up late and then I get fired and then I lose the house. And then, you know, it just, it can, it can just really, really grow. And so identifying those, what if thoughts and trying to shift to a, if then statement. So instead of what if I don't sleep well tonight and I'm a mess tomorrow becomes if I don't sleep that well tonight, then tomorrow I may be more tired. Maybe I'll have a little extra coffee. Maybe I will give myself a little break on some of the productivity that I wanted to do, right? Maybe I will warn my kids, you know, mom didn't sleep that well. I might be a little grouchy today. It's just human, right? Like what are the things that you can do? It sort of creates a way to bring that part of your brain that's that planning, organizing, kind of parent part of your brain Mm -hmm. to calm the rest down and say, here are some things we can do, right? Mm. There's so much of what you're saying that um, really resonates with me and, um, I think about, you know, going back to uh, what you were saying earlier about sort of like getting stuck in that insomnia place. And my my 20-year-old who may or may not listen to this episode, I hope she does, <laughs> um, really struggles with sleep. And I think she really identifies as somebody who has trouble sleeping, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like that's her... Um, that's her thing or <laughs> one of her things. Yeah. But, right. yeah. I don't know how to help her out of that, but I, again, I hope she will. I hope she will listen. And I hope you, you land that movie deal. I really do. And me too. Me too. And I will hope Fantastic. that for us too. Right. Serena. We, we yes, could absolutely. Hope, we could totally hope for that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think that is, that is really common is that people will come to me and they may have been on a medication for a long time for sleep. And we can talk a bit more about that if you like, but they really have this mindset of I'm a bad sleeper. Mm -hmm. I'm a poor sleeper. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, if you look back and think about the evolution, like it is such a powerful drive in us that it has stuck around for eons, despite the fact that we are vulnerable to predators or vulnerable to, you know, catastrophe, natural disasters when we're asleep, especially in the past. Mm 
It's such a powerful drive. And in fact, it's physically impossible to prevent ourselves from sleeping. In fact, the brain will just sort of take over during the day if we've had a really poor night of sleep and get take these little micro sleeps where we just sort of mm. nod off while we're awake. Like it is a powerful drive. The challenge is what are the things that are overstimulating us? Just as simple as that. What are the things that are overstimulating us? Or how have we trained the brain that when I get into bed, that's where I worry about sleep and stare at the ceiling and get frustrated as opposed to, oh, that bed is so comfortable. It's so quiet in my room. What a wonderful, luxurious night of sleep I'm going to get. Mm. And those are just, those are thoughts, right? Those are expectations and thoughts, but we have to train our brain by saying, this is when I get in bed. This is when I wake up. Like, how can we start to really entrench those that schedule into our brain and also figure out what is it that's overstimulating? And it might be, and often is our own thoughts, my own included. I definitely sometimes will wake up three in the morning and all of a sudden I'm thinking of the 15 different things I need Mm. to do when I first wake up. And one thing I've started to do in part is just to say, well, you know, here's my thinking time. I'm awake. Got a little time to think. We'll see what I can get through, but you know, it'd be nice to be able to go back to sleep, Mm. but none of that, like, catastrophic thinking. Mm -hmm. I think also really using things like mindfulness, the more I've been trying to incorporate that both in my own life and with my patients and my kids for that matter, Mm -hmm. is just acceptance. I'm awake right now. It's night. It's quiet. This is just what's happening. Maybe I'll be able to fall asleep. I hope so. If not, I will still get through tomorrow and then I'm going to sleep amazingly tomorrow night, right? It's Mm going to be so good to crawl into bed. So I do think that that can really shift the way that we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit here. So in the introduction, we said that you help people to live their best lives. And as parents, we know that we spend lots of time making sure that our families live their best lives, sometimes to the detriment of our own mental and physical health. You've shared that you're a parent and we wonder what tips you might have for parents out there about taking good care of themselves while they're also taking care of their people. Uh, Absolutely. And it's something I think about every day and Mm -hmm. don't always succeed personally, but I really try. You know, I think that our children really are modeling their behavior after our behavior. So we can tell them one thing until we're blue in the face, but if we're modeling some other behavior, and that could be, you know, not going to sleep at a regular time, being watching TV till late at night, or, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and getting up and having a snack, or, you know, just not taking good care of ourselves. And I think they do model the way that we treat ourselves as well, the way we speak to ourselves. So if there's something that's making us feel anxious or making us feel insecure and they hear us being really critical, they're really insightful. Like kids pick up on that so quickly. They really understand what it is that we are experiencing. And part of that, I learned that because I'm working with patients now who, when they were growing up, maybe had very anxious parents, for example, and they learn from them, like these things are not safe. Like pushing Mm. yourself is not safe. Trying new things is not safe. They heard a lot of like, be careful, be careful. Like, Mm. don't do that. Or this could bad, good thing could happen. And I think what we're hopefully trying to do with our own kids is to encourage them to try out new challenges, to experience some of those things. And a big part of that is modeling it Mm -hmm. and modeling self-care. And let me tell you, when I've had times, you know, recently as a parent, certainly when I was in the postpartum period, that's such a common time for anxiety, but even more recently, I mean, with the pandemic and kids going through all kinds of transitions, I recognized that I needed to treat my own anxiety 
so that I wasn't causing their lives to constrict because I was repeatedly saying to them, be careful, or maybe you shouldn't do that. Or I don't know if you should bike by yourself, or are you sure you want to walk to school by yourself? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I had to treat my own anxiety and these catastrophic intrusive thoughts that would come in. Like, what if he's walking to school and he goes, he doesn't look when he crosses the street, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Parents have these. And I recognized I needed to treat my own in order to let them experience life in a way that was full and created resilience. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it's very hard for us to get our own treatment just for us. We may be suffering, but we say, I'll just get through it. I'll Mm. I'll just keep giving. And sometimes that's what you need to think about is, you know, this actually also will help my kids. Mm. Not that I want you to make these choices for your kids, but sometimes that resonates with parents because there's a sense of, I can just deal with this. This is how I've always felt. I've managed it. Well, think about this. Not only can we relieve your suffering with appropriate treatment, including medications, which I've taken and take at times for anxiety, including medication that we can really help you, but also generationally help those that are coming after you to kind of break this cycle of anxiety. So I really think that is powerful when you think about, you know, being a parent right now. Mm -hmm. Wow. Breaking the the cycle of anxiety. I, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, so again, we'll shift a bit and say you have a podcast. We mentioned that before the reflective doc, tell us a bit about your podcast and answer a question. We are often asked why a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I joke recently that having a podcast is sort of an introvert's dream. (laughs) We never thought of it like that, Serena. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) I can reach out to people I really want to talk to. And they agree to come on and talk to me about something they're really passionate about in depth for half hour, 45 minutes. We both really learn a lot. And then I get to go take a break and like be quiet (laughs) by myself. So that's been a benefit I didn't expect. But, you know, I think I, I reflect back a lot on, you know, one of the regrets, I was listening to this great podcast on regret recently. And one of my regrets growing up is that I was struggling so much with who I was, with self-confidence, with body image, with anxiety. And I didn't have outlets. I didn't know where to turn to learn about it or even just to validate how common it was and that there were ways to shift our way of thinking. And because of all my training and clinical work, I've learned so much, not that I'm anxiety free, but I know how many tools there are that I can use. I can help my family use to get over that. So the podcast and writing in part was sort of to reach back to that teenage me or that 20 something me that didn't really have access, certainly in rural areas. So many kids don't have access to some of this. And so podcasts, they're free, you know, people that just need something to listen to them on. And certainly there are some limitations with people accessing technology, but for the most part, they can get this information for free. I can even have a patient listen to an episode I did on insomnia because it is basically what I told them that day, Mm -hmm. but I want them to, you know, reinforce it with some of that information. But this allows so many more people to learn these things and they don't have to have the cost and the time to come and see me personally in my office. I don't have the capacity for that anyway. And so how else can I teach? You know, it's in my blood. How can I teach about how to really make these changes and sort of go back and help that younger version of myself so that other men and women don't have some of those regrets I had where it's, you know, lost time 
to feeling anxious, right? Maybe having a few drinks to go to a party where I could have just survived the anxiety and really learned how to navigate some of that social, social anxiety. So I think that's why the podcast, I mean, I love learning from new people and talking with them, but the mission really is how do I share this information in a way that's free and as equitable as it can be. Hmm. Yeah. So tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah. So they could just go to the reflective doc.com. I have my a podcast on Apple podcasts on Spotify. I'm on you know Twitter or Instagram as the reflective doc. So would love to have people reach out and, and tell me what they're you know looking for, or maybe interested in having a podcast about some of my recent ones have been on cannabis pros and cons and mm-hmm. talking a bit about that or psychedelic assisted psychotherapy or just, you know, mom guilt. I mean, it really runs the gamut. Mm-hmm. So I always love to hear from people who want to hear more about some topic because then I get to learn and so many other people benefit. So. That's great. It's one of the things we like about mm-hmm. podcasting too, that, that uh, <laughs> opportunity for connecting and learning from people all over the world. Uh, so before we bring this episode to a close today, is there anything we haven't asked you that you might like to put out to the world? Hmm. Well, I do think that the phrase I like to use is, you know, your mind should be on your side. Mm-hmm. And I think when I'm working with people or when I'm sharing information or trying to create that, that's really what I come back to is the things that people are able to accomplish when they really have their own backs, when they're really on their own side and they're not interfering with self-criticism or anxiety, et cetera. It's just so amazing. And we need amazing people right now because there's so many challenges, Mm. right? Healthcare numbers dropping and what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening just worldwide with climate change. I mean, it's just a plethora of topics. So how can I help heal the people that are going to go out and do amazing things in the Mm. world? Like that's so meaningful to me and powerful. And so, you know, one person at a time, let's get everybody's mind on their own side so they can make those changes. I cannot say enough about your positivity. I love it. Um, I've written several things down here that I will be referring to, uh, including that last thing you said, your mind should be on your own side, which I Mm. love. Um, I love also that you shared not only your professional wisdom, but your personal experience. We always appreciate the honesty of parents who come on and tell us all about their real life. So yeah. So thank you so much for being with us today. And so podcast friends, we are as always grateful for all of you listening and supporting us. You can help us out by visiting Apple podcasts and leaving us a review that really does help us a lot. Subscribe and please share with others. You will find lots more content on our website. No need to explain podcast.com. You will also find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we would love for you to connect with us there as well. And this is your gentle reminder to take good care of yourself while you're also taking care of your people. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.